0: oh my god they're dead who could have done such a heinous act i bet it was that frog down by the swamp i don't like that frog he's got them shifty eyes it was that convict iron jaw that trapped scallion i bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on thursday nights I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. Yeah. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast, where I, your scalp intact host, Josh Baker. Cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode features haunt attractions, scalping maniacs, and hungry dissidents. Do you love this show and want to hear more from me and my much more pleasant fiancé? You're in luck. We created a new podcast called Four or More. That's the number four, then, or more, all together, with no spaces. You can find it on all podcast apps and Spotify. Our first episode covers the Final Destination series, which is truly a delight. I'll stop shilling and start talking about horror movies. Accompany me to my desolate farmhouse. Number one, The House is October Built, 2014, directed by Bobby Rowe. A group of friends start a road trip to different haunted house attractions. At the first one, one of the friends named Mickey gets on the roof and pisses off the people who run the haunted house. The road trip continues. The friends hear about an extreme haunt called the Blue Skeleton. Workers from haunts the friends visit along the way start popping up. The group makes contact with the Blue Skeleton members, who end up kidnapping one of the friends. The BS members say they'll kill the one friend if the others don't join them. All the friends end up buried alive. No one is the killer. Huh? You just said that the friends were buried alive. Yeah, buried alive not buried dead not buried alive until dead i thought the friends died at the end of the movie but there's a sequel i looked at the plot synopsis for the sequel and turns out the friends are rescued from their dirt naps i don't know if they're rescued by a handsome prince who has to give them a little smooch to wake them up though i don't plan on watching the second movie why not i didn't much care for the first the house is october built It doesn't really feel like an actual movie. I'd say at the very least, if I'm being generous, a third of the movie is taken up by someone walking through actual haunted house attractions with a camera. This isn't exciting in the least. The House is October Built is a found footage movie, but that doesn't excuse the nearly identical haunted house walkthroughs constantly popping up to pad the runtime. The friends walk through an attraction. They then have a confrontation with someone who works there. They travel a bit, something creepy happens. Rinse repeat until the friends are buried alive after their last walkthrough. Watching scare actors pop out of walls for 30 minutes is boring. Think about it. Watching someone walk through a haunted house attraction is like watching someone's point of view on a roller coaster. The thrill of these events is being there, not watching them from someone else's point of view. After watching Hell House LLC, another haunt found footage movie, I saw a lot of people mentioning that The Houses October Built is a similar movie. Both movies have found footage, both movies have at least one haunted house attraction as a location. That's where the similarities end. I didn't love Hell House LLC, but at least it tries to be an actual movie and not just some goofballs traversing multiple samey haunted houses. Did I like anything about the houses October built? There's a girl with a creepy mask that adorns the cover of both the original and the sequel. She looks creepy. She's probably the scariest part of the movie. There are way too many spooky clowns that aren't actually spooky at all. Creep girl being let on the RV the friends are traveling in and being promptly booted off after screaming is definitely the most unnerving part of an otherwise boring movie. Not only is the movie boring, but the friend group is insufferable. I hated all the characters. There is one girl with them, and she's the only character I felt bad for. She really doesn't want to be there and is mixed up in all this garbage because of her douchebag friends. Not only does she have to go through all these haunted house attractions, she almost gets assaulted in a bathroom. I'm glad she doesn't actually die, I guess. I was hoping the others would though. Maybe they die in the sequel. It sounds like they do the same thing again in that one. Hey, pals. We were almost murdered last time we did this dumb spooky road trip. Y'all want to do it again? No doubt, fam. No doubt. I hope the girl stays home in part two. Mikey looks like a husky Ryan Dunn. R.I.P. Ryan Dunn. Reminding me of Ryan Dunn is the best thing the house's October Built did. Don't bother watching The House is October Built unless we're all stuck inside in October and you want to pretend you're going through some haunted house attractions. It's honestly not even great for that purpose. Check out Hell House LLC, Jackass Stuff, or Viva La Bam instead. Number two, Maniac, 1980, directed by William Lustig. A maniac named Frank kills people and places scalps of women he's murdered on mannequins. He meets a girl named Anna, who's close to another girl named Rita. Frank kills Rita. Frank and Anna then go on a date to the cemetery to visit his mom's grave. His mom was an abusive prostitute. Frank tries to kill Anna, but she gets away. Frank commits suicide while hallucinating that all his victims are killing him. Frank is the killer. I'd been wanting to watch OG Maniac in the Elijah Wood remake for an episode and realized I'm not getting any younger. Why not check out some films that are heavy on the scalps? Maniac is a gross movie. It's closer to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer than it is to a campy slasher. That's not inherently a bad thing. I can understand people enjoying feel-bad, hopeless movies. There's a catharsis to them. In Maniac, Joe Spinell is perfect as Frank Zito. He's got the perfect look for a deranged killer. No disrespect, but the man is not exactly a looker. Throughout the movie, he's constantly sweaty. They must have gone crazy with misting him during filming. He's a huge dude. His presence alone put me on edge. One thing that didn't make any sense in the movie is Anna willingly hanging out with Frank one-on-one. Ain't no one looking to date this man. Maniac is filled with various kills and gore. Tom Savini did the effects and even has his head blown off with a shotgun and an incredibly over-the-top scene. Tom and a date are smooching in a car when Frank suddenly appears. Frank then hops on the hood of the car and blasts Mr. Savini in the face with a boomstick in one fluid maneuver. The head explosion is shown multiple times and in slow motion. I dig effects like this, so the shotgun kill is my favorite. Besides the gun, there are also stabs and strangulations, which aren't all that exciting. Sure, Frank scalps stab and strangulation victims. This might be the first time scalping has popped up on the podcast. The effects work for the scalping is superb and disgusting. That Tom Savini guy does good work. Watching a creepy dude stalk and kill people in a non-campy manner isn't really my thing. I'm a gore fan but I want the gore to be over the top and silly. I want gore to be fun. That's why Splatstick is my favorite horror genre. There's no emotional connection in Maniac. Characters that Frank kills are introduced and dispatched so quickly that you don't care if they live or die. If I'm being completely honest with myself and you listeners, I did not enjoy Maniac. This type of movie just isn't for me. When I sit down to watch any movie, I want to be entertained by it. I want there to be some fun in the movie. After watching Maniac, I just felt grimy. It's not for me. Maniac does predate Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but as far as disgusting feel-bad movies go... Henry definitely takes the cake over Maniac if you are looking for a movie to watch that'll make you feel dirty enough to want to shower after. I personally don't recommend either movie since gritty, depressing serial killer realism isn't something I want from movies. I'll consume that kind of material in a true crime format, but I want to have fun when I watch a movie. Fun fact, Gene Siskel was not a fan of the shotgun head removal and gave up on the movie at that point. If you want to check out some William Lustig movies, I guarantee you'll have way more fun watching the Maniac Cop series. The man loves directing movies with Maniac in the title. Number 3, Delivered 2020, directed by Emma Tammy. Valerie is late into her pregnancy. She's currently with her boyfriend Tom, but unbeknownst to him, a guy named Riley is the real father. Tom and Valerie meet another woman named Jenny at a pregnancy class. They go to Jenny's remote farmhouse where Jenny kills Tom and kidnaps Valerie. Jenny wants a baby. Jenny was pregnant at a young age. Her parents ripped out the baby and left her for dead, so she killed them. Riley shows up. Jenny kills him. Valerie pretends to kill her baby by covering herself in Jenny's cat's blood after killing and skinning it. Valerie then kills Jenny when she comes to investigate. Jenny and Valerie are the killers. The fat cat that Valerie brutally makes dead was my favorite character. Pet warning, cat's already out of the bag though. It's messed up. You see the poor skin kitty cat's corpse in the toilet, and you also see his skin in the trash. Valerie is sick. There was no reason to kill the cat. Valerie had so many opportunities to hide behind stuff and bash in Jenny's head. Valerie didn't need to slather herself up in cat blood to plunge a broken piece of wood into Jenny. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Delivered is just a crappy version of Inside. Inside is an amazing French extremity horror film that popped out, er, up as ripe on my first pumpkin harvest. That means I loved it. Now, yes, Inside is not for everyone. It has intense, over-the-top to the part of being cartoonish and unbelievable gore that does indeed include a pregnant belly. I understand how horror fans then aren't as desensitized to ridiculous gore, would not enjoy Inside in the least. That's totally cool. I'm a sick person. Delivered is a goreless version of Inside. Kind of. It's not the same movie, but the premise of both films is Crazy Lady wants to steal a baby from a pregnant woman. The other movie Delivered emulates is Misery. Jenny even movie-style hobbles Valerie with the blunt side of an axe. Can't have any gore now. We don't have the budget for that. Like I said, Delivered is goreless. Well, it can show a cat corpse and a shoulder stick Jenny in the last 15 minutes. That gore is decent. The rest of the movie implies gore and keeps anything that would cause any off screen. There's a part where Jenny dumps Tom's body in a lake, and we couldn't even get a shot of the corpse falling into the water. That's okay though. I know that Jason Blum and Hulu don't give these productions that much coin. Valerie cheated on Tom with Riley, it's never fully explained what exactly happened, but Riley is a complete uggo, which makes Valerie cheating on Tom, who's basically a blonde Paul Rudd with way less charisma, not make a lot of sense. She would have been shaking in her boots in the operating room, baby pops out looking half goblin and Tom's like, what the... Get out of here, Riley, you goblin boy who's too stupid to call the police as soon as you find out your baby mama's been kidnapped. If someone I cared about went missing, and I drove out to a creepy farmhouse and found any sliver of proof that my friend was there, 911, I need backup. Am I happy that Jenny killed Riley in the movie? Of course. Riley saving the day would have been incredibly boring. For a Hulark movie, Delivered is fantastic. If you're a longtime fan of the podcast, you know that I don't consider Hulark entries on the same level as movies anymore. Even the best Hulark movies are meh. Deliberate is up there with the best Hulark has to offer, but it's still meh. Tina Mohorino does a solid job as Jenny. You might recognize her from Napoleon Dynamite. Natalie Paul played Valerie, and she didn't work for me. She mostly comes off as more inconvenienced by Jenny's kidnapping, murdery antics than scared. Delivered, like many hulags, starts with the end of the movie. I'm realizing this is probably a trend since these movies are trying to get to feature length instead of it being an artistic decision. Valerie has a bunch of fake-out dreams, my favorite one and the only one I actually liked is when her pregnant stomach starts stretching like there's something about to explode out of it, only for some little fake baby doll hands to bust out. That was hilarious. I don't think it was supposed to be. Delivered isn't worth your time, but it's great for a Hulark movie. I'll keep watching Hulark until it or myself dies. Maybe someday one will be truly amazing. Emma Tammy also directed another horror movie called The Wind. I haven't seen that yet, But if you are considering watching Delivered, I guarantee The Wind, a movie I haven't seen, will be more interesting. Number four, Z 2019, directed by Brandon Christensen. Beth and Kevin's son Josh has a new imaginary friend named Z. Ever since Z popped up, Josh's behavior has tanked. Josh and Z almost murder another kid named Daniel. Beth remembers that Z was her friend when she was little. Z kills Kevin and lights the house on fire. After this, Beth goes to Z to be with him forever like she promised when they were kids so he'll stop hurting people. Josh is mad that his mom stole his friend. Beth's therapist tells her Z is all in her head and she can stop him. Z tries to kill Josh. Beth hangs herself to stop Z. Beth is saved but has brain damage. Time and Z are the killers. Time kills best mom and Josh's pet warning, Hedgehog. Maybe Z killed the latter? The Hedgehog's death serves no real purpose. Z? Shudder kept shoving Z in my face. I thought it looked stupid. A friend of a friend liked it, so I decided to give it a chance. Why I decided to give it a chance after hearing it's like the Babadook. I don't know. I don't like the Berber Dirk, if you were wondering. The Berber Dirk is better than Z though. Why didn't I like Z? Well, the kid they got for Josh can't act. Z has multiple designs. Most of the designs are comical and silly. Not purposefully, they just are. Don't give your scary monster man big ol' anime eyes. Z is kinda spooky in some of his forms. There's a part where the therapist dude goes to check on Beth, who's holed up in her childhood home with her pal Z, and you see a really creepy Z in the corner. I wish that design was more prevalent. The first time you get a dead-on look at Z, he kind of looks like a cracked-out Tom Hiddleston covered in black oil. It's... goofy. He just pops up in the bathtub where Beth decides to imagine him. What? You don't get naked and submerge in a bath before trying to conjure some horrifying childhood imaginary friend who you know is violent? Naked in a bathtub sounds like one of the worst spots to be attacked in. How are you going to defend yourself? Chuck a bar of soap? Not only is Josh this little insufferable kid, his dad is even worse. Kevin is one of the worst husbands I've ever seen in a movie. He's completely unlikable. He hides everything from Beth. Let's demon Josh get away with anything. Kevin doesn't even seem phased when Josh and Z ruin another kid's life by paralyzing him forever. That's the most disturbing part of the movie by far. Beth takes Josh to see this other kid. Josh runs up like three flights of stairs, since everyone in this movie lives in a mansion. Some time passes, and then you see the kid who lives there fall and crash into a banister before continuing his descent. That's the only horrifying thing, but boy oh boy was that effective. Kudos for that. It's even presented perfectly. Does it set the wrong tone for the rest of the movie? You betcha. You can't instantly ramp up to brutal child paralyzation and then slog along for the rest of your movie. I was happy to see Kevin die, even though it's an incredibly lame death. Kevin sees Z and then later on we just see Kevin's bloodied body. That's it. Kevin deserved the banister body destruction way more than that random kid. I was hoping that Josh would also die to give Beth a do-over. Poor Beth. She doesn't come out unscathed in this movie either, but her character is the one I was rooting for the longest. I stopped really caring about her when she started Kid Game Goofin' with Z. I can't even articulate how dumb her wearing a wedding dress and marrying Z is. Someone must have said the movie had to have at least one imaginary friend ghost wedding or else because it's completely shoehorned in. Beth was played by Keegan Connor Tracy. I knew I had seen her in something. Turns out she's in Final Destination 2. Uh-oh, she'll number two incoming. I recently watched the Final Destination series in its entirety with my fiancee Kat. This led to the creation of a new podcast, Four or More. That's the number four, then or more, altogether, no spaces. It's on all podcast apps and Spotify. And spoiler alert, the Final Destination movies are great go check out four or more. Besides the intense kid having his life ruined bit, there is one other scene in Z that really stuck with me. Josh throws up. It's incredible. It might be my favorite throw up scene of all time. Little Tyke says he doesn't feel good and then blurg. He shoots a vomit ball out of his mouth like some kind of sludge spell casting wizard. It looks like a cat hawking up a fur ball. Needless to say, I had to go back and watch The Barf multiple times in a row, and it made me laugh every time. Don't bother watching Z. Watch The Babadook, or Daniel Isn't Real, or It Follows instead. Yeah, I'm recommending The Babadook over Z. That's how much I don't like the movie. Its execution isn't the worst, barring some obnoxious sound design, but the content is dreadful. Number five, Maniac, 2012, directed by Frank Calphone. Frank, a mannequin restorer, stalks and murders women. He takes his victim's scalps and puts them on mannequins. Frank meets a photographer named Anna, and they bond over their love of mannequins. Frank helps Anna with her art show. Anna has a boyfriend. Frank kills Anna's agent, then goes over to her house to console her. Anna realizes Frank is a serial killer. Anna almost escapes after jumping into a car, but kills an old man and ends up in Frank's clutches after forcing the old man to run over Frank, causing the car to crash. Frank kills Anna. Frank then goes back to his shop where he commits suicide during a hallucination that the women he killed are tearing him apart. Frank and Anna are the killers. Maybe that old man lived, but he seemed super dead. The crash was all Anna's fault. Why did she make that poor old man run over Frank? Maniac 2012 has almost the same exact plot as the original. There are a few differences. Instead of kidnapping one of Anna's female friends who she might be into like in the original, new Frank briefly kidnaps the agent and treats her as his mother instead. In the remake, it makes a lot more sense that Frank is able to go on dates. Not only does he go on friend dates with Anna, he also goes on a date with another girl he meets online. Elijah Wood is much more attractive than Joe Spinell, that's a fact. I could see a lady randomly meeting up for drinks with Elijah Wood Frank, and then asking him up to her place. I can't even imagine a girl accepting a drink request from Joe Spinell Frank. Besides a lot of the beats being similar to the original, there's a fun callback at the expense of Joe Spinell. When Elijah Frank meets up with the girl he met online, she says she's surprised he actually looks like the picture he sent and isn't fat with long black hair and greasy skin full of acne, which is objectively a way to describe Joe Frank from the original movie. Maniac 2012 also has cute little references, like when the same girl plays Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus when Frank comes up to have a drink with her. It's not subtle, but I didn't find it groan-inducing. This time around, Frank's main weapon is a large hunting knife, which is used to stab, slash, and scalp. He also uses a straight razor in one sequence as an homage to the original. The gore is well done and gruesome. A cleaver also comes into play towards the end, which messes up Anna's neighbor's face in a pretty disturbing manner. The score is heavy on synths, which I was a fan of. The acting in Maniac 2012 is. not great. I want to say that is partly due to the gimmick. The gimmick is that almost the entire movie is shown from Frank's POV. There are some sequences that aren't, which mostly include flashbacks. If those had been the only non POV sequences, I would have been fine with it, but there are a few instances where there are shots of current Frank that aren't POV. If you're doing the whole pov gimmick why not stick with it the entire time pov is only broken outside of flashbacks a couple times one of those times is to show frank brutally stab a woman to death this shot would have been fine as pov back to the acting since the movie is from frank's pov for the most part most of elijah wood's acting comes solely from his voice i think he does an okay job it's a difficult task for sure Everyone else is pretty terrible. I'm assuming anyone interacting with Frank was acting directly to a video camera, which is tough. It's likely that Elijah Wood wasn't always there to have an actual back and forth with. Was the gimmick worth it? I'd say it is, because without the POV gimmick, the movie has nothing going for it. Like the original Maniac, I wasn't a fan of 2012. Both movies drag on, both movies are boring, I didn't enjoy either of them overall. If you dig OG Maniac or Maniac 2012, if you're not wrong for liking them, I can see merit in the films. They just aren't for me. I prefer to see excessive gore and violence in movies that use it in more of an absurd or tongue-in-cheek manner. For example, P2, another film that Frank Calphone directed. I want a little more plot than Killer Stocks and Kills Random People. The movies were both around an hour and a half, but felt like an eternity. Number six, Juan of the Dead, 2011, directed by Alejandro Ruggies. When zombies pop up in Cuba, Juan, his daughter Camila, his best friend Lazaro, Lazaro's son California, and their friends start a business where they'll take care of your flesh-hungry loved ones. This goes well for a while, but as time goes on, things get worse and people start dying. Juan, Lazaro, Camila, and California Transform a car into a boat that'll get them out of Cuba. Juan saves the kid, puts him in the boat, and decides to stay in Cuba by himself. Zombies and Lazaro are the killers. Lazaro kills four people. He accidentally kills an old woman after shooting a harpoon through her zombie husband. He kills a guy that owes him money with a machete. He accidentally shoots and kills a driver. Then he goes back to his roots and accidentally kills one last guy with a harpoon again. Alejandro Brugues directed a really funny short for the Nightmare Cinema anthology. He also directed the failure that is Puka Lives. He didn't write Puka Lives, though. He had written the short and also this Spanish-Cuban zombie Juan of the Dead. I had high hopes for Juan of the Dead and was left underwhelmed by the movie. It's a meandering mess where the main characters are the least interesting. Lazaro is the skeevy screw-up. Juan is... Juan is the dullest protagonist of all time. He was played by Alexis Diaz de Viegas, who I found to be the weakest actor in the entire movie due to how subdued his performance was. There are side characters that are much more interesting, like China and her buff lover Primo. Of course, they are the ones that end up dead. Primo would faint whenever he saw blood, so throughout the zombie fights, he wore a blindfold and had others tell him where to attack. That was a funny concept. Juan of the Dead is a movie that's filled with a bunch of different ideas jumbled together. I wish the film spent more time fleshing out Juan's zombie loved one's dispatchment business. There is definitely a lot of cultural humor that I missed. A running joke throughout the movie is that the zombies are capitalist dissidents that are trying to overthrow the Cuban government. I didn't find that to be all that funny, but could see it being hilarious to actual Cubans. There's a bit where Juan's group has to take out Spanish zombies, to which they're all like, ugh, Spaniards. I'm out of the loop on why Cubans don't like Spaniards, I'm assuming there's a ton of stuff that was lost in translation. The effects work in Juan of the Dead is mostly solid, there is quite a bit of CGI, but actual makeup effects are also used. The first zombie we see Juan and Lazaro reel in looks amazing. There's a fun sequence where Juan ends up handcuffed to a zombified china resulting in bite avoidance dancing. Stock sound effects are liberally used throughout the movie, which I found a lot more endearing than usual. I might just be giving Juan of the Dead a pass though, since it is the first Cuban horror movie I've seen. Making a zombie these days is risky. Your movie is always going to be held to the gold standard that is Shaun of the Dead. Zombieland, The Dead Don't Die, Little Monsters, Cooties, The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, Anna and the Apocalypse, none of those movies hold a candle to Shaun of the Dead. Like those movies, One of the Dead doesn't come close to being as enjoyable as Shaun of the Dead either. Do I think it's possible to make a fresh, entertaining zombity these days? I want to be optimistic and say, yeah, I dug one cut of the dead quite a bit. The zombie lover spinoff was an interesting idea that now has multiple installments like Burying the X, Warm Bodies, and Life After Beth. There's a fresh new zombie out there just waiting to be dug up. One of the Dead doesn't change things up enough to warrant a recommendation. If you know a lot about Cuban culture and politics, consider checking out One of the Dead otherwise, it's Shaun of the Dead time again. Number seven, Scoob, 2020, directed by Tony Cervone. Dick dastardly kidnaps Scooby-Doo, who happens to be a descendant of Alexander the Great's pup Paredes, in order to open a magically sealed vault to save his dog Muttley. No one is the killer. I'm a Scooby-Doo fan. I love the original series, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost, Ghoul School, The Reluctant Werewolf, and the first two live-action movies. I still need to check out Mystery Incorporated. I've been a little out of the loop, but decided to check out Scoob. Even though I was a little miffed with the whole leave Matthew Lillard out in the cold situation, I'll start with the voice acting. It's almost all trash. Will Forte's Shaggy isn't great. Hiring Zac Efron, Amanda Seafried, and Gina Rodriguez to play the gang didn't make any sense the best voice actor of the bunch is jason isaacs lucius malfoy himself as dick dastardly i wish hollywood would realize that a good voice actor is more important than a name brand actor that sucks at voice acting i can understand wanting to have a big name actor in your new ip animated movie but this is scooby-doo everybody knows scooby-doo I'm not going to see a Scooby-Doo movie because you cast Zac Efron. I'm going to watch it because I like Scooby-Doo, something that Scoob was completely lacking. There isn't even a mystery. Dick Dastardly is collecting big old dog skulls and needs to be stopped. That's it. Blue Falcon's son is in the movie, and Scoob feels much more like a really bad Blue Falcon movie than a really bad Scooby-Doo movie. Dino-Mutt also makes an appearance and is voiced by Ken Jeong. Dino-Mutt is a goofball, so Ken Jeong is actually great casting. The problem is Dino-Mutt is the straight man, er, dog, in the movie, so Ken Jeong's comedic talents aren't utilized, making his casting as this serious Dino-Mutt mind-boggling. Since Scoob is less of a Scooby-Doo movie and more of a remember these hanna barbera characters nostalgia cash grab attempt, captain caveman is also in the movie he's voiced by tracy morgan who is by far the worst voice actor in the entire movie i love tracy morgan as tracy jordan in 30 rock but holy moly is he absolutely horrendous as captain caveman before i continue my rant on the failures of scoob i would like to bring up one joke that i completely loved in the beginning of the movie shaggy is a loner with no friends He meets Scooby and talks to him about how he's okay doing stuff alone. He says this, I even play ping pong by myself. I lose a lot of balls. That got me good. I want to say hearing that joke was worth the $20 for me. There are some other humorous moments in Scoob. I remember there being at least two more decent jokes, even though I can't remember what they were exactly. Back to the hate train. Scoob features a celebrity cameo. The Scooby series has included celebrities for years. That's all good and fine. Guess who pops up in Scoob? You'll never guess who it is. Okay, stop guessing relevant celebrities. Think of celebrities that no one cares about anymore. Maybe an old judge from a talent show. Did you figure it out? The celebrity cameo is none other than everyone in the early 2000s favorite snarky tv personality simon Cal. <clears throat> uh yeah simon Cal appears in the very beginning of the movie and sucked all the wind out of scoob's sails there was no recovering from that it's bizarre his model doesn't even fit in the movie if you've seen the movie you might want to tell me but josh that was Dick Dastardly in disguise as Simon Cowell. That doesn't make it okay. Thinking about Cal's inclusion still bumps me out. Cal is also the catalyst that splits up the gang for the entire movie. That's right, the Scooby gang isn't together for 90% of the Scooby-Doo movie. Scoob is a garbage cash grab that's not even worth watching at home. Go revisit any past Scooby-Doo media instead. That's a wrap on Blank Is The Killer 71, haunt Attractions, Scalping Maniacs, and Hungry Dissidents. Was that zero recommendations? Dang, I'm going to have to find something fun for the next episode for sure. Thanks for listening to my pain, listeners. If you dug the podcast, leave a rating on iTunes. A big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the show. If you want to hear more from me, check out my other podcast, Four or More. That's the number four, then or more with no spaces. Blank is the Killer will be back with episode 72 on May 31st. I might even do a little movie live stream that you can participate in if you have Amazon Prime. Follow me on Instagram at BonesawBaker for updates regarding that whole deal. Till next time, if your kid has a scary, violent imaginary friend, that really needs to be taken care of, remember, you brought the kid into this world, which means you can take them out. It's a legal loophole for child murder.